You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning. Like Adam said, my name's Elliot. And um, I want to give you guys a quick update before we um, start the message today. This last week, um, Bevan had planned to be the one delivering the message today, but his um, dad was put on hospice care this last week. And so he lives up in Canada. So Bevan and Rebecca headed up to Canada um, this past week and were able, are still there. They've been able to spend time with him and also Lance and um, Andrea were able to go up there as well. So I'm going to start off the service, just pray for them, pray for the family, and then we will dive into um, the message today. Father God, I, um, I thank you that this wasn't a surprise to you, even though um, this was a surprise and seemed sudden for the family, this wasn't a surprise to you, and I thank you, God, that so many members of the family have been able to gather. I pray for encouragement and for joy um, as the family um, gathers and spends time together. I thank you for um, Pete's life. I thank you for the impact that he's had. I thank you that he um, decided to follow you and then to give his life to advance your kingdom. And I thank you that we can be confident in um, where he will spend his eternity. And I pray for wisdom for the family in the coming days and weeks as they've got decisions. I pray that you'd give them a lot of wisdom. And then I pray for um, Bevan and Rebecca. God, I pray that you would um, bring them back safely. I thank you that they got there safely, and I pray that you would also bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we'll go ahead and dive into the message. This last week, I, um, I went surfing with a few friends, and something that you might know about surfing is surfing is an individual sport. It's an individual activity. You might go to the beach with your buddies, but once you get in the water and once the wave comes, you kind of set the friendship aside, and you go get the wave. I've even um, been in situations where I'm having a conversation with somebody as we're sitting there waiting, and it's a really like interesting, engaging conversation. I mean, we're actually having a meaningful conversation, but then that wave pops up, and it's like mid-sentence, mid-thought. We both know, okay, it's time to stop talking and go, one of us has got to figure out how to get on this wave. And then I went with another um, friend not long ago, and we, you know, we got down to the beach together, and we got in the water, and he was convinced that the waves were breaking better down the beach. And I was convinced they were breaking better right out where we paddled out. So we got out there, and he was like, I think it's better down there. And I was like, well, I think it's better right here. And so he paddled down there, and I stayed right where we paddled out. And even though we went together, we surfed alone. We didn't even, I don't even know if we talked in the water. I mean, we, we may have been like, hey, that was a good wave, waved at him, but we didn't interact in the water. And that, that's something about surfing. It, you, you might go to the beach with your buddies, but you surf alone. It's an individual activity. And sometimes what we think is we think that following God is kind of like that. Following God is kind of like, you know, it's me and Jesus. We're, you know, we're out there. We're riding the waves of life, you know, just kind of doing our thing. There's, there's other people around. You know, you're aware of some other people that are around you, but it's really, you know, following God is really just about me and Jesus doing our thing. And the reality is, is that's not the picture that you find in the Bible when you find the picture the Bible paints of what it means to follow God. Actually, following God is much more like a team sport than it is like an individual sport. A team sport where people have to come together and work together. There has to be unity. They have to take their abilities and apply them for the good of the team, not just for the good of the individual. And in a team sport, what they realize is, because it's not just me and Jesus, but we're working together, there are actually forces and there are currents that are working against us from accomplishing our goal. 
So what you find is following God, it's not like surfing. It's much more like the guys that are in this canoe that are working together as one to accomplish something. This is the picture that you find as you study the Bible. As you follow God, what you're doing is you're joining in and partnering with other Christians to accomplish the work of God. And where this takes place, the team that God calls us to be a part of is the church. It takes place inside of the church. So based on what God says in the Bible and how he wants his team to function, here at Seabreeze, we have a set of actions that's just, that describe what's required if we are going to be the kind of team that God wants us to be. And these actions, we refer to them as the Seabreeze Heart Attitude, seven action statements. And these seven action statements, they identify what's required if we're going to build unity and what's required if we're going to advance the mission. Because any team, if they're going to be successful, what they've got to do is they've got to figure out how do we unite? What's required if we're going to unite? And then what's the goal? We've got to get clear on the goal. And what's required of the individuals if we're going to accomplish the mission or the goal that we've set out? To do. So this morning in our time, what we're going to talk about is how to take these seven heart attitudes, how to put them into practice as we, as we build unity and also as we advance the mission. So if you're taking notes, if you're following along in your message insert or online, um, the first fill in the blank is we do our part as we build unity. This is a responsibility of each individual. Each individual member of the team does their part as they build unity. An example of this in sports recently was um, the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors over the last few years have been the most dominant team in the NBA. And going into this season, and especially the playoffs this year, they had kind of their core talent in place. They had the core players that have made them so successful. They still had the coach. They had all the pieces in place to win the championship. But they were eliminated in the second round of the playoffs. And after they were eliminated, it was really interesting. The coach, Steve Kerr, in a press conference, he pointed to the reason why their team was eliminated. He didn't say it was a lack of talent. He didn't say it was a lack of desire. He said, the talent's there. The talent is still there. We could come back and win a championship next year. It's not a desire thing. Everybody on the team wanted to win. The issue that he pointed to was a lack of unity. He pointed to some conflict that took place within the team back in February, and he said that we were never able to recover from that conflict that took place. We weren't able to unite. And because we weren't able to unite, we had the talent, we had the desire, but we weren't able to accomplish our goal. For any team to be successful, unity is a requirement. And it doesn't just happen overnight, it takes time. So we have four action statements that identify if we, the individuals of Seabreeze, are going to build unity, four action statements that help us do that. The first hard attitude is to put the goals and interests of others above my own. It's a responsibility of each individual to put the goals and interests of others above my own. As I do this, I'm building unity. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is a verse on this. It says this. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Selfish ambition says, I want what I want, and I'll get it, even if I have to hurt you. A selfish person puts their goals above the rest of the team. So in, in the process of pursuing their goals, they actually work against the team. They undermine what the team's trying to accomplish because they're operating out of selfishness. Vain conceit is excessive pride. Someone thinks they're more important or more valuable than the other members of the team. So then if they don't get their way, maybe they start to throw a fit. 
or they create drama for the team, or you know, because they think that they're more important than everybody else, when it comes to those unrecognized small tasks that are required for success that, that have to be done, they think, you know, those small things, those meaningless things, those things that nobody else sees, those things that are unrecognized, I'm not going to do those things. Those are beneath me because I'm so important. They've got excessive pride, vain conceit, so they're unwilling to do the things necessary for success. Selfishness and pride undermine what teams try to accomplish, and they destroy teams. And it's the same thing in the church. Selfishness and pride will destroy a church. So God's instruction for those who follow him is right here. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. You value them above yourselves. It doesn't say that you know, they are more valuable than you, because the reality is, is, in God's eyes, we all have equal value. So what this is talking about is a decision that we make in the moment. It's not saying, hey, treat them this way because they're more important than you. It says, treat them this way because in the moment, if you want the team to succeed, you're going to put yourself aside and you're going to say, what's good for the other person? What's in their interest? So in the moment, you decide to, to put aside what you want and to put them first. If you do this, if you live this hard attitude, if we live this hard attitude, what's going to happen over time is we're going to build unity on the team. A challenge for me that I've ran into is... I've got to spend time thinking about what is the goal and interest of the people around me. Because a lot of times, if you ask me point blank, hey, do you know what the goal and interest is of your wife in this situation? Or do you know what the goal and interest is of these other people in this situation? I'd be like, I haven't, I haven't thought about it. And if I haven't thought about it, well, then I can't do it. And what I've found in my life is when I wake up in the morning, something happens overnight when I sleep. My body, you know, I rest, I get recharged, but I also kind of revert back to this selfish, arrogant preset. So I wake up in the morning, and I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm going to spend my day putting the goals and interests of others above my own. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, I'm like, okay, what do, what do I need to do? What's in it for me? What do I want today? And so I start with this preset. So if I'm going to live this hard attitude, I've got to start asking the question, what are the goals and interests of the people around me? And then as I identify those, I've got to choose to do them. Second hard attitude is to live an honest and open life. Honest and open life. This action describes what we do to build trust. And trust is essential for unity. The individuals who make up the team have to trust each other. If they don't trust each other, they're not going to be united. A verse on this, Ephesians 4.25 says this, says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So it's talking about the church. The church is referred to as the body of Christ. When we decide to follow God, he calls us to be a part of this. We make up his body, carrying out the work that he wants us to do. So it says we've got to put off falsehood. In the category of falsehood, it's more than just a blatant lie. You've got deception. You've got misleading statements. You've got withholding information. There's a whole category of things that we do that would fall in the category of falsehood. It's deceptive, it's misleading, it's not open, it's not honest. So if, if we're the body of Christ, I mean, just think about your own body. In your physical body, what would happen if the parts of your body started lying to each other? What would happen over time in your body is the body would stop working properly because there would be a breakdown in communication. In medical terms, it's a neurological disease because the messages that are sent through the nervous system are either inaccurate or they're not being received. So the body stops working properly. 
The exact same thing happens in a team. The exact same thing happens on a church. Dishonesty has the same effect in the church. There has to be honesty and openness if we're going to trust each other. Sometimes what people will think is, they'll think, okay, well, when I go to church, I've got to present that I kind of have it all together. And honestly, like, as I look out, I mean, you guys, you look like you've got it together. You know, you, you cleaned up this morning. You know, most of you probably showered. You know, you did your hair. You look like you've got it together. So we show up. We've got it together. We put a smile on, and we act like, hey, we're good. And it's very natural for us to project an image of ourselves that just doesn't line up with reality. It is very normal for us to, on the outside, present this image of, we've got it figured out, we've got it all together, we're problem-free. But in reality, we've got a lot of problems. So what this hard attitude says is, with people, not with everybody, I mean, it doesn't say, hey, stand up on Sunday morning, interrupt the service, and start telling us your problems. Don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. But what it's saying is, with a few people that you trust and can really help you, you're open about your struggles. Because if you live under this facade of projecting this image of yourself that's not true, instead of unity, what happens is, is you actually isolate yourself over time because people really don't know you. And then when they find out who you really are, then they can't trust you because they realize you've been lying to me this whole time. So if there's going to be unity, the individuals have to say, hey, I'm not going to live behind this facade. I'm not going to try to act like I've got it all figured out and I've got it all together because I don't. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be open and honest. I'm not just going to get up and just kind of divulge everything, but with a few people who are close to me who can really help me, who I trust, I'm going to share what's going on in my life so I can get help. I'm going to be open and honest. Third heart attitude. It's give and receive scriptural correction. Give and receive scriptural correction. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, really helpful verse, set of verses, says this. says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Starts with, see to it. The idea is, this is your responsibility. You've got to take action. And the reason that you've got to take action is because our hearts are in a state of natural decline. We have hearts that can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We can make a firm commitment one day, and then the next day, we can turn from it. Like it says here, it says that, that, none of you may be hard, that, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What that means is we can be clear on the truth one day. We can be really clear. This is what God says. This is what's true. This is what I believe. But then because of the sinfulness of our hearts, over time, we can wander away from that truth. That's just the reality of our hearts. So what the verse says that we need is it says that we need encouragement. It says encourage one another daily. And the idea of to encourage someone, it's not kind of the American idea of like a pat on the back or, hey, you're doing great, buddy. The idea in the Greek, which is what this verse was originally written in, the Greek means to motivate with words of truth, with words that protect from danger and reveal to people what they can't see. We all have blind spots. There's stuff in our life that we can't see. Even in my life, there's stuff going on in my life that I'm not aware of. There's patterns that could be destructive that I need somebody else who has the courage to say, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm seeing this pattern in you. And to have the courage to speak up and say stuff kind of help move me in the right direction. In football, there's debate, specifically on the offense, about what the most important position is on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, well, it's the quarterback, or 
it's the running back. And of course, the wide receivers always think that they're the most important ones. So there's this debate. But a lot of people think the most important player on the offensive side of the ball is the left tackle. And what the left tackle does is when the, when the quarterback, you know, he's behind center, he takes the snap, he's backing up, he turns his back in order to throw the ball. The left tackle pr protects his blind side. Because if the quarter, quarterback gets hit from the blind side, gets hit from the back, that could end his career. And everybody knows this. So often the left tackle, the guy who protects the quarterback from what he can't see, oftentimes they're the highest paid players on the team. Because everybody knows that the quarterback has limited vision. He's got to have people around him who can see what he can't see and will protect him. It's the same thing for us. We all have limited vision, and then we all have hearts that are prone to drift into sin. What that means is that we need left tackles in our lives. We need people who can see what's going on and have the courage to open their mouths. I need a left tackle in my life. I need to be a left tackle for somebody else. There's stuff that I can't see, and I need somebody with the courage to live this hard attitude and open their mouth and speak. Now, this hard attitude... This one is not permission to go around correcting everything you see. The goal is unity, not to criticize and judge one another. In environments where people are critical of each other and they're judging each other, those groups don't unite. Those groups divide and they splinter and fracture and head off in different directions because nobody wants to be a part of that. So if we're going to live this hard attitude, two questions that will help you before you say something. First question is, do I have their interests in mind? Do I have their interests in mind? Am I really thinking about them? Is this motivated by love? A lot of times, the stuff that we want to say, it's really because it benefits us, or it's really because we've got a strong opinion, but it's not really because we've taken the time to think about what would be best for the other person. So start with the question, do I have their interests in mind? Second question is, is there trust? Is there trust? Do they trust me? If they don't trust you, then chances are they're probably not going to listen. But if you take the time to communicate that you really love, that you've put their interests above your own, the first heart attitude, and you've taken the time to be open and honest about stuff going on in your life, well, now there's trust. Now you're in a position where you can live this heart attitude because they need input. We all need input. But you want to make sure that you've laid a foundation of trust and love. If you don't do this and you're just criticizing, being judgmental towards the other person, nobody's going to unite in that environment. That's not the environment where people grow. So we do this hard attitude by creating an environment where there's love and there's trust. Fourth hard attitude is to clear up relationships. We clear up relationships. When it comes to unity, peace is essential. The challenge is to peace, the challenge is, is that we are part of a team, and as part of a team, we have to work together. You know, peace could be easy if we just agreed not to bother each other. You know, if we just kind of left each other alone and kind of did our own thing, we could be at peace. I mean, if you, if you go surfing, you can be at peace with the other surfers in the water as long as you let them get their waves and stay out of their way, and they let you get your waves and stay out of your way. We can have peace. The problem is, though, we're not surfing. This isn't an individual sport where it's just me and Jesus riding the waves of life. No, when you decide to follow God, when he saves you, he calls you to be a part of a team, to be a part of his church. And he calls you to unite with the other members that make up that church and accomplish something. That means we've got to work together. And whenever you work with other people to accomplish something, there are going to be plenty of opportunities 
to clear up relationships. This is just a tough reality of being part of a team. And the reason that this happens is, one, nobody's perfect. Nobody who's a part of this team or any other church is perfect. We all have sin. And then something that happens when individuals come together to accomplish something, when they work towards a goal, that creates pressure on the individual lives. The individuals are called forward to do things that don't come natural to them, to to participate in ways that aren't easy for them. They've got to step outside of their comfort zone. There's pressure on them. And then strain is often required. To accomplish a goal, people have to make sacrifices, and they have to strain themselves. So if you take an imperfect person who has sin in their life, you put them under pressure, and then they start to experience strain, what's going to happen is that sin that's inside of us is just going to start to leak out. So if you're a part of a team and you're working towards a goal with other people, it's only a matter of time before they say something or they do something that hurts you or that you don't like. And the reverse of that's also true. It's only a matter of time when you're working towards something and there's pressure and there's strain before you say something or you do something that hurts another person or that they don't like. And it's at that point that we've got to choose to live this hard attitude to clear up relationships. Check out what it says in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which bind them all together in perfect unity. Sometimes in the church, we get surprised when there's opportunities to clear up relationships. But as you read through the Bible, God is not surprised. And the reason he's not surprised is because he knows who we really are. So he over and over again says, hey, this is something you gotta be aware of. This is something that you're gonna have to address. Let me me read Colossians 3 again. Pay attention to this. It says, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Imagine if you were coming over to my house this afternoon. Somebody said, hey, I heard you're going to Elliot's house this afternoon. Let me just fill you in. You're going to need compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with him. Forgive him because he might grieve you. Remember, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You'd be like, what, is Elliot like a really difficult person or something? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And so are you. And that's why he says this. Because he's saying, hey, you're joining with other people to unite. You're joining with other people to accomplish something. And guess what? As you do that, what's inside you is going to come out. So don't be surprised and shocked by it. Clear it up. Do the work of clearing it up. He's very clear about this. So these first four hard attitudes, first four action statements, they describe how we relate to one another. As we do these, we are building unity with the other members of the team. The next three hard attitudes, hard attitudes five for seven, they describe how we relate to the organization of the church. So the first four, how we relate to the individuals. The next three, five through seven, are how we relate to the organization of the church. And as we do the next three, what we're doing is we're moving the mission forward. So each of us do our part as we move the mission forward. This is the next fill in the blank. 
we do our part as we move the mission forward. As a team, we have a mission. Actually, at Seabreeze, our mission statement is thoughtfully inviting broken people to experience transformation in Christ. We have a, we have a mission as a church. Every church, every individual church has a unique mission, a unique way that they're carrying out God's mission in the world. It's a mission that God has given. And so these next three action statements, these next three hard attitudes, five through seven, they describe how we're going to unite and then what's required of the individuals if we're going to move the mission forward. Hard attitude number five is participate in the work of the church. Participate in the work of the church. It's work. Work is required to move the mission forward. In any team, work is required. In any organization, work is required. And if you're a Christian, what God has done is he's given you gifts to be used to benefit other people. And the church actually needs you to use your gifts to move the mission forward. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What it's saying is, is that God's gifted you, not so that you can draw attention to yourself, not so that not so that you can feel good about yourself. He's gifted you to serve. And what happens as you serve, specifically in the church, what happens is, is God's grace flows through you using that gift, and it impacts other people. That means because God's grace is flowing through you, that means that your acts of service now are multiplied in impact. It's not just about the small investment of your time or your effort, but now God's getting behind that, and he's, he's multiplying it. This is one of the reasons that often an impact of people helping and going above and beyond in a church setting is it calls other people forward and inspires them because they see the good that's happening. For me, one of the the highlights for me here at Seabreeze over the last few weeks is what happened on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, just a few weeks ago, we went to one of our growth groups in advance and we said, hey, we want you to think about and plan something that kind of takes everybody into consideration, asking the question, what could we do on Sunday morning to increase the impact and the experience for people as they come on campus? What can we do to make it a really good experience? And then, because it's Mother's Day, also be thinking about moms. What are some of the things that we could do that would be really special for moms? So we gave this task to this growth group, and they started thinking about it. They started planning it. So they're the ones we did the, we gave away the little flower bouquets, we had the photo wall set up, They researched that, they reserved stuff, they went and picked up flowers and did different samples. They came the day before and spent hours setting it all up and getting it all ready. They put a lot of time into that. So then that Sunday, you know, I get here early with other people, staff and volunteers, getting everything set up. About 8 o'clock, an hour before the 9 o'clock service started, I'm out there by the kitchen, and the members of that group started to arrive. And a lot of them are parents, so their kids were in tow. So an hour before the kids' ministry started, they started showing up and putting in work to make that Sunday special for the people that came. And then at the end of the day, it's noon, the 10.30 service is done. We're wrapping up. The setup team is putting stuff away. Many of those members of that group are still out there four hours later working to finish the job that they had been given. They put hours of prep in, hours in on that day, all thinking about How can I participate in the work that's going on here at Seabreeze so that I can increase the impact of Sunday morning for the people that can attend? That inspires me. That challenges me. That makes me want to do more, to give above and beyond because I see them participating in the work of the church. The sixth hard attitude 
is to support the church financially. Financially, This is the other part of participation in the work. The work of God always advances as individuals participate with their time and as they contribute with their money. If your kids are in the kids' building right now, um, they're not just being babysat over there. You know, we're not just, you know, kind of put them in there, we'll babysit them, make sure they don't kill each other, and then you parents, you know, can have a good time in here. Actually, they're doing some really neat programming over there. Next week, they're starting a curriculum for the elementary age kids in the kids' ministry called Made to Be a Maker. And what they're going to learn about in that curriculum is they're going to learn about how God is the designer and maker of everything. And one of the ways that God designed each of them is he designed them to be creative. He designed them to make stuff. So as they go through that curriculum, some of the things that they're going to do is they're going to make things that directly apply to the unique way that God's made each of them. So some of the fun things they're going to make, one week they're going to make a pocket flashlight. And it's not like we just bought Amazon pocket flashlights and are giving them out. They're actually going to make these things. They're going to do Lego derby car races, where they're going to build these Lego derby cars, and then they're, they're going to race them. They're going to do woodworking projects. They're going to do a lot of really fun stuff in the month of June over there in those classes to help the kids learn about how God made them to be. Now, that's possible. It's possible to have a kids ministry like that going on over there right now. One, because of the volunteers. There's a lot of volunteers over there serving right now. Some of you in the next service are going to go over there and volunteer. Other people have put in time to come up with that curriculum and figure out how do we make these things. There's a lot of volunteer hours that have gone into that. Another reason that that's possible to do that is because a few years ago, a number of us decided to contribute (coughs) money money that would pay for that building to be constructed, to take what God's given us and invest it so that that's a possibility. And then it's also possible because there's a number of us that we continue to give, give so that the staff can be paid and the mortgage can be paid and the lights can be turned on and we can have resources and materials in order to do stuff like that. Again, the kingdom of God always advances as the people that make up the church contribute with their time and with their money. And Jesus, he points to the impact that this has when we do this. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The church is the main way that you take earthly treasure and turn it into eternal treasure. The mission of the church is not a temporary mission. It's not about how do we improve people's lives here and now. Our mission is asking the question, how do we impact as many people's eternities as possible? How do we impact where they're going to spend eternity and what their life leading to that is like now? That's what our mission is all about. And so what we get to do is we get to take what we've been given in this life and invest it. Invest it in a way that brings eternal treasure and eternal reward. And that's what God is speaking to. That's what Jesus is speaking to in this passage. Again, for the mission to move forward, the individuals always contribute with their time, and they also contribute with their money. Hard attitude number seven is follow leadership in the church within scriptural limits. Follow leadership in the church within scriptural limits. The, um, there's two sports leagues 
that are getting ready to have their championship, NBA and the NHL. They're getting ready to enter the championship for both of those leagues. And it's interesting to consider the teams that are getting ready to compete for a championship and ask the question, what is it that sets those teams apart from the rest of the teams in the league and gives them the opportunity to compete for that championship? And as you think about that, you think, well, maybe it's because they have the most talent. But then in both leagues, the NBA and the NHL, you realize that the, the players that won the MVP and the teams with the most all-stars, they're not competing anymore. So it's not the talent. Then you start to think, well, maybe it's because they pay their players the most money. Maybe there's like the financial incentive. So you start to look at, well, who has the highest payroll? Same thing in both leagues. Both leagues, the teams with the highest payroll have already been eliminated. So if it's not talent and it's not payroll, why are those the teams that are competing for championships? Well, I would say the reason comes down to buy-in. The individuals who make up the team, the players, decided to buy in to the leadership of the coaches. And if you've ever been a part of a team, you know this. You know that buy-in is more important than talent or money. It says this in Hebrews 13, 17, instruction given to us who are part of a church. It says, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Have confidence. Submit. Do your work in a way that it would be a joy. Buy into the direction that leadership is taking the church. Now, if leadership starts to take the church in a direction that doesn't line up with the Bible, you don't follow. But as long as it lines up with the Bible, well, then you buy in. Because what's required if we're going to advance the mission is if the individuals buy in. So we choose to live this hard attitude, and we buy in because we realize that advancing the mission, buy-in, is a requirement. And both of those leagues, the NBA and the NHL, so there's going to be a team that wins the championship in the coming weeks. And one of the teams in the NBA is going to take home the Larry O'Brien Trophy. That's their championship trophy. One of the teams in the NHL is going to take home the Stanley Cup. That's their championship trophy. But because in both leagues there's only one trophy, what they're going to do is they're going to give out rings because not everybody can take the, the, the trophy home and put it in their personal trophy case. They're going to give out rings. So in the NBA, for instance, they're going to give out between 80 and 100 rings per team. Now, there's only about 20 players on the roster, and there's around 10 coaches. That's only 30 people. So only a third of the rings go to people that we see on TV or that we read about in the news. The rest of the rings are going to go to people behind the scenes. And the reason that the organizations and the reason that the leagues do this is because they realize that the work required to win the championship was done by far more than just the players or the coaches or the people that we see on TV. They recognize that everyone in the organization was important as they did their work. And it's actually the same way in the church. Same way in the church. If we're going to have unity and if we're going to have, if we're going to move towards the mission, if we're going to accomplish the mission, it's not just, you know, what happens on the stage. It's not just the programming choices that happen in the kids' ministry or over in the student ministry. But it says individuals come. What God knows is he knows what it takes for his team to be successful. He knows that what's required is the individuals showing up saying, hey, I'm going to do the hard stuff, and I'm going to do what it takes for there to be unity. So I'm going to practice the first four hard attitudes. And then I'm going to advance the mission. So I'm going to practice hard attitudes five through seven. 
and he sees that, and what he says is, hey, even if nobody else sees it, even if it's not the stage, even if it's not the programming, he sees it, and what he says is he says, I'm going to reward it. He says that, you know, ultimately, at the end, because I see it, I'm going to recognize all the work, even the work that nobody else saw, because I know how important it was for that to happen in order for there to be unity and in order for the mission to move forward. So I've got a couple next steps for you today to help you practice these hard attitudes. The first one is um, we've got these magnets. These are on the back, uh, the tables in the back on the walls as you're walking out. These are fridge magnets. Take these home. They've got the list of the hard attitudes on there. Just a great, great way to remember what the hard attitudes are as you think about how do I apply these during the week. Second thing is to memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is really the starting place of the hard attitudes. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself. So take some, take some time and memorize Philippians 2, 3, and 4. The final next step is um, Harold Bullock. He's actually the one who um, helped come up with the language of the hard attitudes as he studied scripture and pulled them out. He wrote a book on the hard attitudes a few years ago. So if you go to the Seabreeze app, um, on there, you can click a button, and it'll take you straight to Amazon so you know which book you're buying. But I would encourage you over the summer to read the book that Harold wrote on the hard attitudes. If you've already read it before, read it again. Just a great reminder, great examples, illustrations, gives the scriptural basis for the hard attitudes, and it'll help you start to think through, how can I put this into practice? So as you head into your summer, got vacation or trips or time off, whatever it might be, use that time, read through that book, and figure out how how do I push myself to build unity here at Seabreeze, and how do I push myself to help advance the mission of this church? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the clarity that you give in your word, the clarity um, for what you want us to do when we decide to follow you, the fact that you call us to be a part of a team and we're not just individuals on our own. I thank you for that. And then I also thank you for the clarity of how you want your team to function. So I pray for us, the individuals that make up this team, I pray that we would do this. I pray that we would do the work of building unity. We would think through each hard attitude and figure out how to put it into practice. And then I also pray that we would be a part of advancing the mission here at Seabreeze. Thank you for your clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.